Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you. It's Sunday. Boy, you better buckle up. Strap on your boots. Uh, maybe get a snack. Get you a refill on your cup of coffee. This one may take a bit. I have been, I have been working over this for quite some time. God has been working me over with this for quite some time. I finally got set down and put some things together that I like, that I feel like is what is is I can convey what's in me about this. Um, but what I'm going to share with you today, and again, it is lengthy. I apologize for that, but I really want to try to get this in because I believe it's important for us to understand who we are in Christ today and what our role in Christ today actually is. So with that, I'm going to share with you a message I put together called carry the fire. How was fire transported in ancient times? The biblical account found in Genesis 22:6 states that in order to prepare to offer a sacrifice at a distant location, Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and put it on his son, Isaac. Then he took in his hands the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked out on together. Now, there's no mention is made in the scripture of the method used to light fires in ancient times. Regarding the account in question, at least one commentator believes that a flame could scarcely have been kept going throughout that long journey that, that Abraham and Isaac had made there. In other words, it, it may be that it was referred to as an equipment needed for producing fire. There wasn't any lighters, wasn't any matches, so likely you know, you'd either have to do the rub two sticks together or flint and steel if you had it available to you. Now, others actually point out, however, that it was not a simple thing to kindle a fire in ancient times. People would have found it easier, where possible, to get a hot ember from even maybe their neighbor's house, rather than to try to start a fire on their own. A number of scholars thus believe that what Abraham carried was a vessel, perhaps a pot suspended from a chain that contained live coals or charcoal embers raked from the preceding night's fire, Glowing embers transported in such a way could readily and easily be used with tinder and a little bit of wood to rekindle a fire at any point along a journey. Isaiah 30, 14 makes mention of such a carrier. In, in verse 14 of Isaiah 30, it says, Whose collapse is like smashing a potter's jar, crushed so savagely that there cannot be found among its pieces a pot shard large enough to take the coals of fire from a fireplace or to scoop water from a cistern. So a fire pot, it's a container, usually probably a, a piece of pottery, earthenware, and it was designed to carry the fire. Fire pots have been used since prehistoric times to transport fire from one place to another, for warmth while on the move, for cooking, in religious ceremonies, and even as weapons of war. Here's an article I found, or a story I found that was very interesting, and it was titled Carry the Fire by Jake Bull. In 2006, author Cormac McCarthy released The Road, a gripping tale of a man and his son in a fight for survival in a post-apocalyptic world. Garnering a plethora of literary awards, the novel struck a chord with many readers in its exploration of themes such as survival, fear, hope, and love. In the story, the man and the boy experience increasingly hopeless circumstances. Besides one fleeting stroke of good fortune, the spiral of events plunges deeper and deeper. Cold nights, empty stomachs, murderous strangers are ever-present. The wicked knock of despair grows louder with each turn of the page. Amidst the chaos and sorrow, a tiny phrase recurs between the man and the boy, a curious three-word mantra that serves as a kind of guiding light, 
a north star of reassurance for both as they navigate the daunting obstacle of a blighted earth. Carry the fire. At first, it was confusing as a reader. I fell behind. The man and the boy seemed to have a full grasp of this significance each time it was used, yet there was no explanation of its meaning. As the book progressed, however, so did my understanding. Not only do these three words have a heavy bearing on a man and his son surviving desolation, but they also serve as a source of encouragement for the follower of Jesus, especially in the turbulent times in which we find ourselves today. What does it mean to carry the fire? In the novel, the man and the boy face nights of terrible hunger and dread. They cross paths with gangs who've given themselves over to acts of thievery, murder, and even cannibalism. Nights spent between the two involved shivering contemplation of recent events and all the horrors surrounding them. The boy asks his father, We would never eat anybody, would we? The father responds with, No, of course not. Even if we're starving? We're starving now. You said we weren't. I said we weren't dying. I didn't say we weren't starving. But we wouldn't. No, we wouldn't. No matter what? No matter what. Because we're the good guys. Yes, and we carry the fire. And we're carrying the fire. Yes. Okay. Would it be easier for our characters to kill and plunder? Sure. Would it be easier some nights for them to simply give up and die? Absolutely. So why don't they? Because we're the good guys. And we're carrying the fire. See, for the Christian to carry the fire is to keep going, to press on with a steadfast trust in God's faithfulness despite the trying circumstances. It is to trust that God is ultimately unfolding a plan for good. It is to choose the narrow path when the wide path is easier and more traveled. Above all, to carry the fire as a Christian is to cling to the hope of Jesus, even in the darkest of times, while never giving up. We keep going. When others condemn, we build up. When others take, we give. When others pour out hate, we pour out love. When others fight to be right, we fight to be holy. When others entrenched in their views, we keep the word in our hearts and seek to understand. We cling to our hope in Jesus while remembering his faithfulness in seasons past. Why? Because we're the good guys. And with the help of our God, we carry the fire. In 586 BC, the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, leaving the people of Israel without a central place of worship while also being forced into exile. Among the pages of the book of Lamentations, we find a sorrowful author pouring out his heart over the affliction of God's people amidst unimaginable hardship and humiliation. The language is strong and a bit unfiltered here. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 4 through 6 and then verse 14. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. The situation for the Israelite parallels that of man and the boy. From tearful eyes they gaze upon a rising smoke of temple ruins as they leave the land of promise. The world is now a desolation, their stomachs are empty, and their hope flickers. Then we hear the cry of remembrance. This is Lamentations chapter 3 verse 21 through 24. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
Greatness is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Our writer recalls the Lord's faithfulness. He recounts the ways in which God has delivered him and chooses to place all his hope in the one who has proven himself faithful, despite even the worst of trials. In that moment, the temple was not miraculously rebuilt. The Israelites were not released from exile. Nebuchadnezzar did not profess faith in the Lord. Yet the recounting of God's faithfulness provided the strength to keep going in trust and obedience, the strength to carry the fire. It's no secret the times in which we find ourselves are are quite dismaying. Political division, racial tension, global pandemic mark our days. Each sunrise seems to bring with it a new set of difficulties that can quickly hinder our hope. Headlines excite despair, while countless video clips arouse anger. The comments we read on social media are heartbreakingly discouraging. We look upon everything from violent riots to physical distancing and cannot help but wonder, when will this end? As one whose citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20, we who seek to fix our minds on things above, not on earthly things, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, who want to abhor evil and hold fast to what is good, Romans 12, 9, what ought to be the response of believers in Christ amidst such dark times? Do not let the fire go out on the altar. Comes from Leviticus 6, 13. Here's one tall order of scripture, if ever we've seen one. God gave the instruction to the Old Testament priest. If there was enough, if that wasn't enough, he also called his people to offer ceaseless sacrifices, burning bloody slain animals day after day, morning and evening. Now God gives us helpful pictures in his word so that we may better understand the nature and purposes of his command. Do you, do you see what I just said? God gives us helpful pictures. You ever read something and see a photo, see a, an image, see a picture? That's how I read. I, I envision everything I'm reading. God gives us helpful pictures in his word so that we may better understand the nature and the purposes of his commands. Here, the fire represents the presence of God, always emanating or burning with holiness and purity. The blood sacrifices depict the necessary payment for God's sin. God's people placed these atoning sacrifices on the altar and watched the flames consume them. How how was this perpetually possible? The priests obeyed God's command to tend the fire, and God graciously dwelt with his unholy and undeserving people. Today, we no longer need to sacrifice animals before coming into God's presence. I'm thankful for that. Since Christ gave himself as a once-for-all sacrifice, those who put their faith in him can clearly and freely enter into God's presence day after day, morning and evening. The Old Testament sacrificial system pointed to Christ, but is no longer necessary in light of Christ's completed atoning work on the cross. While there is no longer a physical fire that must we must tend to, there is most certainly a spiritual one for today's royal priesthood. Peter, remarkably, a remarkable name for Christian believers uh, in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence, the wonderful deeds and the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. The Levitical priest task reminds us of Paul's exhortation to another perpetual action to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Similarly, C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, a great revivalist of old, applies Leviticus 6.13 to Christians, challenging them to keep the altar of private prayer burning. While the Bible tells us that we are priests, 
we serve a great high priest who is God. Hear Christ's compassionate invitation, Hebrews 4, 15-16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Leviticus 9:24, God initiates the physical fire. He is the fire starter. Likewise, he is the in- initiator of our devotion to him today. The Holy Spirit moves in our hearts to grant us the faith to trust in Christ. We love the Lord because he first loved us, knowing that the great high priest changes our hearts. We look to him to ignite in us a fresh love for him and a greater desire to commune with him. There is common ground between the Old Testament priest tending a physical fire and today's royal priesthood of believers who mind a spiritual fire in the altar of private prayer. Both require hard work. Prayer takes effort. Prayer without ceasing is a tall order. A solitary battle won or lost each day. It is a battle worth fighting. To pray without ceasing is not the call to never stop talking, but rather it is, is a carrying a sense of prayerfulness into every aspect of our lives. I've heard it described as an open phone line with the Lord where he never, where we never have to hang up. It is an awareness of being in his presence throughout each day. From the time we wake up until our heads hit the pillow, the Lord wants us to be conscious of his presence. Regular and frequent and undisturbed prayer is one of the most difficult things that we are called to in the Christian life. Yet we know by experience that nothing worth doing comes easily. Spurgeon rightly says that secret devotion is the very essence, evidence, and the barometer of vital religion. All other aspects of our lives borrow from the vibrancy of our time spent in personal fellowship with the Lord. Devotion to private prayer comes with a cost for our time, our focus, even our pride. We do not like to be dependent, but isn't that how the Christian life works? While we often function as if we are self-sufficient, the truth is that we are creaturely and therefore wholly dependent. Prayer is the best reminder of our right relation to God. Not even Jesus Christ operated apart from the dependence of the Holy Spirit in prayer. The Holy Spirit was Jesus, inseparable companion. And the same Spirit who empowered our Lord Jesus Christ is the Spirit who lives within all believers and enables us to commune with God. In addition to tending the fire, God instructed the Old Testament priest to regularly remove the ashes of each burnt offering. This task was a priority in order that the fire would stay ablaze. What ashes today are accumulating on the fire of our secret devotion to God in your heart? God does not want our lukewarm hearts, so we must examine what smothers out the flames, what's holding back the fire, what's dampering the heat within us. God does not want our lukewarm hearts, we, so we must examine what smothers these flames out. It may be the concerns of daily life, a long to-do list, unforgiveness, maybe even unrepentant sin. It is the time to lay these things aside. One of the best ways to reignite a fire that once burned brightly, open your Bible. Get in God's Word. Spending time with God's people, listening to sermons are good things, but they are no substitute for independently digging into God's Word. As scripture reminds us of who God is, what he has done for us, and why he deserves our wholehearted devotion, we will be more motivated to spend daily time in his presence. Prioritizing private prayer will help us to live for God's glory and also receive the greatest joy and satisfaction from our communion with him. When we spend time in God's presence and are reminded of biblical truths, the burden of prayer transforms into the privilege 
of prayer. The Bible describes God as a consuming fire. So it is not surprising that fire often appears as a symbol of God's presence. Examples of this are from the burning bush of Exodus 3-2, the Shekinah glory of Exodus 14-19. Numbers 9-15 through 15 and 16 show that as well. And Ezekiel's vision, Ezekiel 1 and 4, fire has many times been an instrument of God's judgment in Numbers and Kings and a sign of his power in Judges and Kings. For obvious reasons, fire was important for the Old Testament sacrifices. The fire on the altar of burnt offering was a divine gift, having been lit originally by God himself. God charged the priest with keeping his fire lit, and he made it clear that fire from any other source was unacceptable. Somebody needs to understand what that says. The fire from any other source is unacceptable. There, There should not be another fire burning inside of us except for the one that the Lord lights himself. In the New Testament, the altar can serve as a picture of our commitment to the Lord. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called upon to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, engulfed by the divine gift. The inextinguishable fire of the Holy Spirit, at the, at the very beginning of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is associated with fire. John the Baptist predicts that Jesus will be the one to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire in Matthew 3.11. When the Holy Spirit began his ministry of indwelling the early church, he chose to appear as tongues of fire, resting on each of the believers. At that moment, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages and other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You can see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Fire is a wonderful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is like a fire in at least three ways. He brings God's presence, He brings God's passion, and He brings God's purity. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God as He indwells the heart of the believer In the Old Testament, God showed his presence to the Israelites by overspreading the tabernacle with the fire. It's in Numbers 9. This fiery presence provided light and guidance in in Numbers 9. In In the New Testament, God guides and conforms his children with the Holy Spirit dwelling in our bodies, the tabernacle and the temple of the living God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and chapter 6. The Holy Spirit creates the passion of God in our hearts. After the two traveling disciples talked with the resurrected Jesus, they described their hearts as burning within us. Luke chapter 24, verse 32. After the apostle received the spirit of Pentecost, they have a passion that lasts a lifetime and impels them to speak the word of the God boldly. Acts 4.31. The Holy Spirit produces the purity of God in our lives. God's purpose is to purify us, Titus 2.14. And the Spirit is the agent of our sanctification in 1 Corinthians 6.11 and 2 Thessalonians 2.13 and in 1 Peter 1.2. As the silversmith uses fire to purge the dross from the precious metal, so God uses the Spirit to remove our sin from us. Psalms chapter 66 verse 10 and Proverbs 17.3. His fire cleanses and refines. Acts, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound from heaven came like a rushing violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were being distributed among them, and they rested on each one of them as each person received the Holy Spirit, and they were filled, that is, diffused throughout their being with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, different languages, as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out clearly and appropriately. God wants his people on fire, on on a burning hot fire. 
Does it strike you as odd that God is always comparing himself with fire? His eyes blaze like fire in Revelation. The book of Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire. Jeremiah tells us that his word is like a fire. He showed up in the fire in the three of Hebrew boys in Daniel. He was a pillar of fire to keep his people warm in the wilderness in Exodus. On Mount Sinai, he shows up in the form of a burning bush in Exodus. He said that he would baptize us with fire in Matthew 3, Luke 3. In Acts chapter 2, tongues of fire fell upon the heads of Jesus' disciples. So I would venture to say that apart from the fires of hell, fire is a good thing. God wants his people on fire, burning hot for him. These are two trademarks of every born-again believer, the Holy Spirit, which symbolizes power, and the fire, which symbolizes our passion to use the power. I was changed by his power. Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, my life was transformed from the inside out. I was way, I was one way one day, and then, the, then after my encounter with Christ, I was a totally different person. Why do you think God would use the symbol of fire throughout Scripture, as we just discussed? Well, there's in the certain priorities of fire that I believe God wants us evident in our everyday lives. Let's take a look at three of them. One, fire illuminates. It lights our path. It's so important to live in the light of God's presence so he can expose every dark trap the enemy might place before us. Also, vision is impaired in the fire. When we are looking at, at the one whose eyes are like fire, we will be able to receive revelation for our own lives as we are led and directed by the Holy Spirit. People on fire hear the still, small voice of him saying, this is the way, walk in it. Secondly, fire melts. Fire changes the property of even the most hardened surface. It changes our hardened hearts. Life naturally makes it hard. We are, we are not naturally pliable, moldable, or even stretchable. We are naturally fearful, small-minded, stingy, and petty. At least that's what I am when the, without the fire of God in me. But when we soak in the boiling oil of God's presence that has been heated by the fire of God, he changes what and who we are. Thirdly, fire is contagious. It burns everything in its pathway. Fire is not particular. It doesn't say, I'll burn down the couch, but not the table. Uh, of course not. It burns everything in its way. When fire touches something, there is no mistaking it. It leaves its mark. There is an undistinguishable smell after a fire. God has created us to be spiritually combustible. Spiritual pyromaniacs, if you will. Human torches somehow affecting everyone that hits our path. Can you can you understand what's being spoken right there? We're a, we're a torch. We're we're combustible. There shouldn't be anyone that we come in contact with that doesn't leave with an effect of the fire that's within us. We are to be a sweet smelling aroma to God. People on fire leave a distinctive scent behind. When you are truly on fire, you don't hide behind religious walls. You're not particular about the type of person you reach out to, the color of their skin, or their economic background. When you are on fire, you are not intimidated by external matters. Without realizing it, you touch everything around you with your presence in some way, shape, or form. Remember this, God doesn't only judge faithfulness, but, all, but he also judges temperature. In the book of Revelation, there were two churches the temperature, with temperature problems. One was the Laodicean church. The members were neither hot nor cold, but they were lukewarm in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. The other one, the church, the Ephesian church, Revelations 2, 1 through 7, they left their first love. They lost their passion. They let their fire go dim. 
Brothers and sisters, we need to be packing holy heat, not just concealed weapons. The Holy Spirit is fire. The Holy Spirit is in Acts. The tongues of fire represent the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. This fulfills John the Baptist's prophecy that the Messiah would baptize with Holy Spirit and fire, Matthew 3. This also means that the purifying work of the Holy Spirit carries, carries on in our lives today. The Spirit comes into our lives to transform us, cleansing us, purifying us to become more like Christ in our daily living. The thought of being purified by fire can be terrifying, but we can rest assured that the same holy God who gave His Holy Son, His only Son, and He poured out His Spirit at Pentecost wants to make us holy just as He is holy. His ultimate desire for us today, carry the fire. Take the fire of God with us everywhere we go and start a wildfire in everyone we meet. I'm going to try to close this up. I don't want to, I know I'm already being lengthy, but listen, you ever sit and watch the fire burn? You see the little embers that float up into the air? Have you ever watched them when they come back down? Sometimes they actually can light a little fire. Maybe, Maybe it only burns for a moment or two or in today's conditions and the drought that we're having here in Oklahoma that one little that one little spark could could start an entire wildland fire here, a, a grass fire that consumes everything in its path. But that's the whole essence. We're to be that. We're to be spiritual pyromaniacs, as the note said. We're to be so far, so far fired up, so much full of His fire that nothing that we touch is not consumed. That everything that we come in contact with, we leave a mark. Fire leaves a mark. Any time, even if you burn just a little, it still leaves a scar. It leaves a mark. And when it's consumable, when it begins to be consumed by that fire, we've got to continue to add to it. Once is not enough. One little group of logs isn't going to cut it. We've got to keep adding fuel to this fire. How do we do that? We do that by getting in God's word. We do that by being in God's presence. We do that with corporate worship. We do that with gathering together with other believers in Christ and allowing God to iron sharpen iron is what the Bible says. We need each other so that we can become this consuming fire that cannot be extinguished. Are you a carrier of the fire? Are you that that earthen vessel that God created just right so that he can put the coals of his fire? He can light the fire inside of you that begins to consume you from the inside out so that it affects everyone that you come in contact with. I don't know that I'm done with this carrying the fire because it is such an intriguing thing to me. But I want you to understand that's the whole purpose of everything I just spoke to you. Seek the Lord about being a carrier of his fire. It's his fire. It's the only one that matters. No other fire will do. Remember what it said in Leviticus. There, there was importance about that not to use foreign fire, not to use another fire. You only using the one that God lights. And God lights it in us in his Holy Spirit when we accept him through surrender to him. If you've not done that, today's a good day. Reach out to the Lord. Find yourself with your head bowed, with your heart on him, and just simply say, God, I, I, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know who I am but I know I need you in my life. Today, God, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for my sin. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit and start a fire in me that no man can put out, that I will be a carrier of your fire and I will ignite fire everywhere that I go. Ladies and gentlemen, if we get a grip on what that simply means, 
that we will light a fire everywhere we go. We've got to stoke our own fire. We've got to stir the coals. We've got to, to, to use the bellows and blow into us and, and get that flame burning intensely hot so that others will see it, so that others will be drawn to it, and so that it will affect them when they come in contact with it. Our fire must be burning brightly. And then when we gather together with others whose fire are bright, we become a wildfire. We become a a consuming fire. It'll change a community. It'll change a city. It'll change a state. It'll change a nation. It'll change a world. But it starts with us. Remember, revival starts in us. It must consume. The fire of God must consume us first. And then it will affect everything around us. Amen. Be a carrier of God's fire. Ron and I love you. Thank you so much for allowing me a little extra time this morning. I pray that God opens your eyes to see what he's speaking to you today. Continue to support us if you can. Pray for us, please. Walk with us on this journey as we continue to pursue the very heart of God, seeking out that which is lost so that it may be found. Amen. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you again real soon.